1: But after Jesus touched the bread and after he touched the fish, there were leftovers. What if God wants to work in such a way in your life that even the leftovers are beyond what you're looking for? What if he wants to introduce himself to you in such a way
0: that it exceeds your expectations?
1: How much of your relationship with God is dependent upon the signs, what he might do for you. And then they tried to tag Jesus by talking about a story they thought they understood. They said, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread. Always. And it's in that context that Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. The New Testament is recorded in its earliest forms in Koine Greek, conversational Greek. Most of you know that most of the Old Testament is recorded in Hebrew. There's also some Aramaic. But, for example, when we read what we read about Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush, it would have been written and recorded in Hebrew. When the Greeks came along, they wrote the Old Testament in Koine Greek. The Greek Old Testament is called the Septuagint. So let me tell you something interesting. When Jesus, speaking in conversational Greek, said, I am the bread of life, he used an unusual, even for the Greek language, construction. He used two words. The first word he used, which means I am, is the word ego. It looks like ego. Or if you want to say it, ego, it looks like the waffle. Lego, my ego. But it meant, I am. So it would have made sense for him to stop right there. Ego, the bread of life. But he doesn't. He also uses another word, the word Amy. E I M I. And you know what that means? I am. And Jesus says, I am, I am. The bread of life. Was he stuttering? No. You think Jesus ever said something out of place or accidental? I don't think so. Jesus was very intentionally pointing us back to something. Because when Moses has his encounter with God at the burning bush, the way that is written in the Greek Septuagint, in the Greek language, the way Yahweh, I am, is translated is ego amy. So Jesus was saying, just in case you're confused, all of you who know the Old Testament, all of you who have studied the stories of Moses, those of you who are throwing up in my face who Moses is and what he's done, let me just tell you, remember the story of I am? Well, I am. A go Amy. This would be what eventually would get Jesus killed, right? He's claiming to be God. Whenever you meet some people, and I meet them all the time, who say, Jesus didn't really claim to be God. This is just one example you can point them back to. Oh, no. He said, I am the I am. Hey, go Amy. The same God who said I am in Exodus 3 and 14 and 15 is saying I am in the seven I am statements in the gospel of John. Jesus was making a claim to be God, and he was making the same point he made to Moses in the burning bush. When you understand who God is, it changes who you are. I am changes who I am. So I need to ask you, have you understood who God is? Well, to do that, I think you need to get a little background on what we've just read in John chapter 6. This all takes place around the Sea of Galilee the Galilean region where Jesus worked. And wow, that's a picture just from a couple of months ago. I love hanging out in Galilee. We'll be going back again this December. And there in, in Galilee, uh, the Bible says that Jesus has gathered and thousands are around him. The Bible records 5,000 men. That teaches us that there were fifteen to 20,000 total people. And they developed a problem. They were hungry. They needed something to eat. They were hungry. They began to look around. And they couldn't find any nourishment. Jesus had been teaching. The crowds had gathered. But they were in need. Notice what it says in John 6 verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? Say where. What did Jesus ask him? Where? Philip, where are we going to buy some bread? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered to him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. What did Philip answer? Did he answer the where question? No. And too often, when we get in conversation with God... We're responding to his questions with answers that he didn't ask. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? A couple of things before we keep going and to help you understand this context. First of all, it says that Jesus asked a question, but he did that just to test him. Because it says that Jesus already knows the answer. What if Jesus already knows what he has in store for you, but sometimes he tests you just to see if you're paying attention. What if Jesus already knows about the lack in your life? He knows the need. He knows the hunger, but he's just testing you to see if you're really ready to get in on what he's doing. What if Jesus is at work all around you and he's moving in your midst waiting to demonstrate how he can provide for you, but he's testing you just to see if you'll respond. God's at work all around us. One of the greatest principles we have in our spiritual journey is to make sure that we're getting in on what God is doing. Second thing I want you to see, though, is that Jesus asked the question, where? But Philip answered the question, how? See, here's the deal. How deals with methods. Where deals with source. And too often in our life, we get bogged down in the how question. God, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to pay that bill? How am I going to survive this relationship? How am I going to live for another day? How am I going to battle cancer? How am I going to face this emotional crisis? How am I going to deal with the uncertainty in my life? And we're bogged down on the how and we're looking for methods when God wants us to to look to where. See, in my life, I want to be like the psalmist. Because the psalmist cried out, I know where my help comes from. My help cometh from the Lord. When I'm in need, I know where it comes from. When I don't understand how to pay the bill, I know where it comes from. When I'm in the middle of a relationship challenge, I know where I can get some help. When I'm facing a battle with illness that I don't understand, I know where I need to call. It's the where. Jesus wants us to focus on the where, but too often we get stuck on the how. How changes, but where never does. Finally, I I just want to remind you. Again, all this is just bonus. Jesus is preparing to exceed your expectations. Please understand that. His desires for you are always far greater than your desires are ever going to be for yourself. And I wonder how many of us are settling for our view of what good is and we're missing out on God's great because we've... (laughs) We've not understood that he always is seeking to work exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond what we've ever asked or dreamed or imagined. You know what would have happened if this would have been left up to the disciples? They would have taken those five loads and those two fish. And 12 men would have had a good lunch. Because they said, we found out what we're going to do. But after Jesus touched the bread and after he touched the fish, there were leftovers. What if God wants to work in such a way in your life that even the leftovers are beyond what you're looking for? What if he wants to introduce himself to you in such a way that it exceeds your expectations?
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
1: So as a result of this, the crowds begin following Jesus. And he was playing hide and seek because they looked on the boat and they couldn't find him because he was walking on the water. And so they just took out for the other side of the sea. And I was there just a couple of months ago. This is the old port of Capernaum. You can go there today. And that's where they went because they knew that this is Jesus's hometown. So they just crossed the Sea of Galilee in their boats. They went looking for Jesus. So where did they look for them? Where did people always look for Jesus? In the synagogue. Because he was there teaching. But good news, you can go there today. This is a newer synagogue built on the remains from the ancient synagogue that you can still see 2,000 years ago where Jesus taught on this day that we're describing. And so what did they say to Jesus? Jesus, show us another trick. Do something for us. And and see, so many of us in our faith journey, we've got to make that transition where our prayer time with God is not about us asking him to do something for us, but asking him to show himself more to us. They wanted more signs. They illustrate our problem. We want Jesus to do something for us. But he desires to be something for us. And so Jesus, in the midst of their conversation, illustrates this truth. And I think teaches us three things. Let me give them to you. First of all, he teaches us that God is the source of everything good in our lives. He's the source. So they're having this interaction with Jesus, and they say, Jesus, remember, remember how when Moses was wandering through the wilderness, and they were hungry, and so God gave them manna? Now, you, do you remember that story? Manna literally means, what is it? <laughs> and I've been to some people's house after Sunday church, and I just, when they asked me to pray, say, Lord, I'm going to thank you in faith for the manna. <laughs> what is it? You know, I think that's kind of good. Just like we don't know what the thorn was, right? So that gives us a little liberty. So maybe maybe the manna was a nice sesame seed bun. Maybe the manna was a nice French loaf Maybe the manna was sourdough or wheat, but I think more likely the manna was cornbread with some jalapenos in it, or maybe it was homemade biscuits, or or maybe it was pancakes with maple syrup. Can I get a witness? (laughs) But they said to Jesus, you remember the manna that Moses gave them? You know what Jesus said? Y'all got this story wrong. That manna didn't come from Moses. That manna came from heaven. And it's not Moses whose home is in heaven, it's God. So God was the source of the manna. I just need you to understand something today God is still the source of everything good in your life, He's the owner. When you understand that, that will help you with some of your needs. Some of you are not being faithful as stewards with what God's given you because you think it came from somebody else. You think it came from your boss for the work that you did. You think it came from your retirement fund. We need a moment of silence for our retirement funds after this week. (laughs) You think you were the source But this hasn't changed. God's still the source. He's still the owner. We're just managers. We're just stewards. Jesus was saying God is the source of everything good in your life. But there's a second truth. He's saying God is the only thing that can satisfy in your life. So remember what they did with the manna? They liked it. So some of them would take the manna to their tents because they wanted to make sure they had some manna for the next morning. But what would happen? It didn't last. It was spoiled. It was rotten. And Jesus is saying, here's where your analogy breaks down because I I am the bread of life and it never spoils. It always satisfies I will always meet your needs. When you feast on Jesus, your hunger is always quenched. But there's a third thing. Jesus was clearly saying, God is the only one who can save your life. We're going to read it, but I, I want you to hear what Jesus said when he looked them in the eyes, when he pointed At each of them. He was saying you don't need a sign. You need salvation. You don't need a miracle. You need to know the miracle worker. You need the one that can bless you when you feel burdened. You need the one that can help you when you feel hurt. You need to know Jesus. Look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So he says it again. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. That's salvation. What does salvation mean? Salvation means that when I encounter the living Lord Jesus, my forever changes. Please hear me, you and everyone you know is going to spend forever somewhere. I trust the scriptures. The scripture says that there's only two options. One option is a place called heaven. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to spend forever with him. But listen, not because of the golden streets, not because of the pearly gates, not because of the mansions on the hilltops. He wants you to spend forever in heaven because that's where he is. God's desire for you on this side of heaven is the same as on that side of heaven. He just wants to be with you. But the other option is that you spend forever in a place called hell. And yes, hell is a place of torment and punishment. But the worst thing about hell is that there's no God there. You're separated from him forever. So Jesus was saying, you want to never die? You want to be with me forever? I'm the living bread. I came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What is he saying? He's saying that when you understand that your relationship with God is not about what you do, but who you believe in and what you believe, you gain a satisfaction that nothing can take away. Like the old hymn writer says, I am satisfied with Jesus. Have you gained that satisfaction? Do you know that regardless of what needs appear in this world, regardless of what desires you have, regardless of the difficulties you face, that God has saved you and that's changed you? See, John, who gives us these seven miracles and these seven I am statements of Jesus, he has one purpose in his gospel, that we might understand the importance of believing. That's why he says in John three sixteen, for God, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that whosoever, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's why he closes out his book in John 20 and verse 30 saying, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Isn't that intriguing to you? We tend to think what we've got here in scripture, that's all about Jesus. He lived and ministered in the Galilean region for three years. And we see like little snapshots. We don't even know all the miracles he did. He did many other signs. Why? Why? Verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that my believing you might have life in his name. Why does Jesus say, I am the bread of life? Because he wants you to believe that he's everything you need. Charles Spurgeon said, faith is believing that Christ is what he said to be. He will do what he's promised to do. And expecting that of him. Do you have that kind of faith today? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am, I am the bread of life. After World War II, there was an orphan crisis in Europe. One of the first things the soldiers began to do after experiencing victory is to care for the orphans. And so they built orphan camps to provide for their safety and their welfare. And for the first time in years, they were well cared for and well fed. But the psychologists and the psychiatrists began to notice a problem with the children. In spite of their care, they were still going to bed, and they were not sleeping through the night. As they began to talk to them, they were filled with anxiety and fear of the future. They didn't know what tomorrow would hold or if they can make it. So someone came up with an idea, and they decided to give every orphan a loaf of bread as they went to bed. And they noticed that those boys and girls would hold on to that loaf of bread and they would sleep through the night. They would hold on to that which was in their hands and their anxiety, their fear would go away. They would hold on to what had been given to them and they would have peace that allowed them to face another day. Here's what I think Jesus was saying to me. If you will understand that I am the bread of life, that I am your source, that I am your satisfaction, that I am your salvation, if you will hold on to me when it gets dark, if you'll hold on to me when you don't understand how to go forward, if you'll hold on to me when you face sickness, if you'll hold on to me when your marriage is falling apart, if you're holding on to me when you don't know how to pay the bills, if you hold on to me I'll give you peace that you can't find anywhere else when you understand who God is it changes everything changes how you live changes your countenance changes how you worship the old songwriter wrote you begin to live this out